Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Today, we're here with Dr. Phil Wagner, who's the founder and CEO of Sparta Science. His job is using objective data to help athletes and military personnel prevent musculoskeletal injuries. Uh, he's made it his job to predict injury in athletes. He's sort of like a, a Karnak of sports performance. So we've got him back. We had him on about two years ago. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Phil Wagner. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on with us. Um, you know, it's been a while. We wanted to uh, review some information, see how you guys are doing over at Sparta Science, see what's new. Um, but actually, today's podcast kind of stems from a, uh, a recent deadlift conversation that Marty and Jim had on their way back from a... Uh, a spec ops uh, engagement. Um, so let's have Marty kind of give the background of the conversation and how it relates to the technology uh, pioneered by Sparta Science. Well, I think Jim should start it off because he's the one who started it off. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, Marty and I had a weekend with the uh, some spec ops guys and I guess we had, you know, three hour drive on the way home. And of course we're talking about training. And I said, you know, one of the interesting things that I got out of Sparta when I had it at Penn was that it, it uh, solidified our philosophy on what works the best for athletes. And our philosophy is basic exercises where you work very hard that you work very hard on. Um, and I said, you know, Marty, the deadlift out of all the other exercises that people consider explosive the deadlift was the number one exercise that improved their explode which is you know the ability to change direction quickly that amortization phase the ability what do you call it what's that you call it reactivity yeah it's the explode phase which you in your article you called it reactive which is basically the same thing you know it's ability to create force through the ground and change that direction quickly so if you're if i'm if I'm going up for a rebound, some other guy is standing next to me and my amortization phase is shorter, that's the down to up phase, then I'm going to get to that ball quicker when a ball, ball comes off the rim. Um, and then they showed the deadlift with that fast turnaround, that controlled negative and fast turnaround was the best exercise for the athletes to do to improve that. And I just always found that interesting because right away, somebody would probably say, oh, the snatch, or oh, the clean, or oh, the box jump, but right. there's the deadlift, you know? Right. And I don't know if that's still the, the case, Phil, but um, I know the deadlift would still be way up there in that uh, exercise hierarchy, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and I think <clears throat> reactive strength is the right term. Good. We, we use uh, explode just because a lot of times coaches and athletes you know, are overly literal with what reactive means mm -hmm. because in sports, a lot of times reactive is very skill oriented, you know, how fast you can react to a fastball or, right. you know, an oncoming tackle, whatever that may be. But yeah, it is that reactive strength. And really, I think what we're trying to look at is where do you leak force? Mm. Because when people move, there's always going to be some leak of force production. Mm -hmm. and and deadlift is unique in that because so much bracing is involved that is our hypothesis behind why we found it so powerful to enhance this this feature 
No bracing if you just uh, collapse on the negative, though, is there? Correct. Correct. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's certainly a, a large bracing component to pick something heavy off the ground, but even more so when you're forced to control the descent of that heavy lift. Yeah. And, and uh, Jimmy, who was our technical ideal? Oh, it was Dan Austin. So yeah, the, yeah. the story goes that, I don't know, man, it's probably 15 years now. My buddy was the head strength coach at South Carolina, University of South Carolina. And his assistant was Dan Austin. And I'd never met Dan Austin. And I'd seen him lift in the Nationals. And I was so impressed with his explosiveness. And uh, I started talking to him about his off-season training. And he said, uh, Marty, how many, how many championships has Dan won roundabout? Oh, man. Uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 14 or something crazy. Well, I mean, no, seven. no, no, no. He's not up there with Lamar. But, I mean, certainly, I'm thinking six or seven. I okay. Mean, you know, I got them confused, I guess. But his whole thing was, and he's a 750 deadlifter at 148 or something. I mean, something like that. 165. Yeah. 165. And I said, <laughs> see, I'm glad I got my historian right here. And I said, well, what do you do in the offseason? He said, well, I, I only touch the barbell to do deadlifts. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I found out with dumbbells are better for my bench and takes, you know, it, it just wears on me doing a bench. And I said, well, tell me about your deadlift. He said, I never touched the ground. And I said, really? I said, well, what do you do? And he said, I come about six inches and I turn it around like a rocket. And I turn it around as fast as I can. And then when I start to go from the ground or even in his squats, I think, um, he found out that his push out of the bottom or his breaking the bar off the floor was so much better after training like that. And I got to thinking, man, that's a good way to improve your explosiveness, you know? And so every time our kids, I got back from the trip and every time my, our kids would deadlift, I'd be like, okay, today we're going to, you know, no touch. I called them. We're going to yeah. turn that around as fast as we can and turn that around as fast as we can. And we still <clears> did the cleans and squats. So it's not, it's hard to pinpoint exactly why the kids felt more explosive or why their verticals went up. But I think that had a big part of it, you know, that turning it around fast after that crushing negative, and then stopping that bar and turning it around, you know, that was, that was what I thought helped the best, but that's the, that's the background with uh, how I first became aware of it. And then it fit in when I got Sparta at Penn and Phil started, and I looked at the research and was like the deadlift, the deadlift, you know, so uh, it sort of fit perfectly into the Austin philosophy also. One of my best coaching moments came when I coached Dan at the 1991 World IPF World Championships in Orebro, Sweden. And Danny set the world record in the deadlift with 744. And right before he goes out, I'm at the chalk box with him. Of course, they're all booing him. Uh, so he chalks up and he, and he looks at me and he goes, give me some strength, Marty. And I'm like, whoa, okay, baby. <laughs> and I put my fists out and he, he did it. And he went out and ripped it up world record um afterwards he won bet he won best lifter he won uh, champion of champions <laughs> yeah so that's my dan austin dan was the consummate technician right perfect squats perfect benches perfect deadlifts uh world champion at 148 world champion at 165 basically unbeatable um uh yeah but but dan and i were uh we were very Simplicato in the training philosophy, his whole thing. Our thing too, and Cassidy's thing, everybody's thing was basically the deadlift is a continuous tension exercise. Right. Mm -hmm. From the time the first rep breaks the platform until the time the final rep is settled back down, 
at no time do you relax your tension and reset that we want to avoid that. Yeah. Of course, that, that, knocks, that knocks the hell out of everybody's deadlift numbers and they don't want to do that because they can drop and pull, let their tailbone shoot up in the air, do all, you know, let the shoulders get in front of the bar, all the technically incorrect things. And, you know, they can pull more than if they <clears throat> sit, sit back. I had, I, I, I'm going to get Phil on because we brought him on to talk, but I had one extreme example. We had a, a lady who was able to basically assume a position of a bent over row Mm -hmm. and then stand erect with 385 right and this is 100 this is 160 pound woman i mean this is not no. yeah yeah so i had her you know lean back and start with the shoulders over the bar in our classic position she couldn't break 225 off the ground um, right yeah so. I, I you know the way it, it, you mentioned that it's the value of deadlift is constant tension you know you know, I know particularly with you, Marty, I can get pretty out there and meta metaphysical, you know, and so I guess the way that I look at exercises is they're not really names, right? They're intense, right? And, and deadlift, you know, doesn't really explain necessarily what you're doing. Really, the goal of it is to what's the heaviest movement I can do that has the longest tension. Nice. Mm -hmm. Like that's deadlift. Right? But, but, but there's a there's a trade-off where uh, poundage and reps intersect. Exactly. And yeah. it, t it takes it into a different zone. You get up into the 10, 12, 15 rep zone, and that's a different, the, the poundage plummets. Yeah. And I think there's a point where you, you maximize your strength. Yeah, you compromise it a bit, but you, you have the maximum one. Yeah, well, if you're doing 10 reps on deadlift, then I don't know if you should be lifting at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is. But, you know, I think the, you know, the story I was going to tell related to that is we worked with a college um, using our software platform and they didn't want a deadlift from the athletic trainers, you know, because as everybody knows, right, deadlift hurts your back. Absolutely. It's injurious. So you can't deadlift because that's going to cause injury. So and the way and the way that it's mostly taught, they're 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 accurate. Yeah. So you know, we actually renamed the exercise in the program mm. that everybody could see. What's your name? Eccentric neutrals. Oh, well, not, nice. and then that was okay, right? Oh, that was fine because we're not deadlifting. We're doing no, neutrals. No. Yeah, no, no, now, no, not deadlifting. Now, no Phil, how do, Phil, how do you guys assess the the deadlift? I mean, is the force is your force plate technology able to assess that, or is, that's just for three movements, right? For the the jump, the the plank, and the what is it? The push up, right? Yeah, the plank, the plank, the balance, and the and the jump. I mean, right. You know, we've been collecting data for over ten years, not only on force from those three movements but also on the exercises people do and then mm -hmm. match up. Okay. Here are the exercises and here are the outputs, the testing, and we match those together and see which exercises cause what no different than pharmacology. You give somebody a medication, you draw blood and you see what happens, right? Exercise is no different. It's just medicine. Right. So is that technology able to give you actual feedback? How, how do you incorporate that with the actual deadlift itself? Well, yeah, we don't actually measure forces in the deadlift because, you know, it is a skill, right? And so 
we don't want to be evaluating the skill itself. We want to evaluate the system. Right. And that's where the, having a standardized set of movements, whether it's a jump, a balance, or a plank, that's the test. You know, but then the medicine is the deadlift. And we don't really want to measure the deadlift because we could say, hey, you know, let's say, you know, Jim, Jim has an awesome force production on deadlift. It's hard to suss out. Is that because he has a good skill of deadlift? Or is that because, you know, he has high force production? We see it all the time in sports. You know, baseball teams throw these plates, force plates underneath the pitching mound. Why? They have no idea. But their intent is they want to measure force, you know, on how you land when you pitch. But the challenge is it's a skill, so it's not transferable. Right. So the deadlift itself, you you guys leave that up to the 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 uh, athletes coaches you're doing, you're assessing those three different moves to see where they're at uh, as far as their, their total body performance to see if there's any uh, impending injuries coming up that you can see and all that for their, their coaches yeah. to work with. And, it, go from and, it, and it's just like medicine, right? You take a medication, you get your blood drawn. If something, if your blood doesn't change like you would expect, it generally means one of two things. One, the person's not doing it, right? They're not taking their medicine. Mm -hmm. Or two, they're an outlier, which we see, right? Not everybody improves this reactive strength or explode through deadlift. Most yeah. do, but oh, not that, everybody. They must be the hard gainers. Yeah. <laughs> the hard Maybe they yeah. do 10 reps of deadlift. I don't know. You know, like, you know, I think the, you know, the key point is like, it works for most people, but by continuing to have something where you can retest, you can identify compliance or non-responders. And, and if you if you can measure and define a thing, you can improve upon a thing. That's a you know shockingly simplistic and profound statement. Yeah. Can you go over the technology? Just hit on it a little bit and explain exactly you know, what, what your, um, you know, what the data is all about and what it's showing you guys and what it shows the coaches that can now help improve and, uh, you know, uh, prevent injury in their athletes. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any one of us, whether you're in spec ops or an athlete, unless you are on the moon, everything you do relates to your interaction with the ground, everything you do. Um, ground reaction force and that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you want to run faster, you have to push backwards more. If you want to squat more, you have to push down more. And so that ground reaction force is measured by a device called a force plate, which senses how much pressure you're putting in, not only down, but when we talked about leaks left to right. So if I'm jumping, and I have a low explode, a low reactive strength, there's probably a lot of left to right forces going on while I'm trying to jump upwards. Mm. Right, so, right. So what do you mean left to right? Like a weakness of left to right? Well, no, I mean, I think people always want to see asymmetries left to right, but- Oh, I see from left, uh, right side or left side. Right. I mean, you guys have all seen it before watching deadlifts too, right? Like as someone pulls off the ground, you might see a shift to one side initially and then back to center, right? Right. So the, the fastest path is a straight line. How do we avoid 
that, those shifts, those leaking of force to get to point B as soon as possible. We, we have a similar situation in lifting where most of the people that come to us, like they will stand erect. They, they try to do a low bar squat too quickly. And a low bar squat is an invitation to bend forward. So they're all unlocked at the start. And in the IPF, unless your knees are locked, unless your hips are locked, unless you're standing upright, you won't get the start signal in the squat, mm. right? So you have to be locked out. And we used to practice that because as Cassidy used to say, you know, if your hips are unlocked, if your knees are unlocked, that's an energy leak. Yeah, you're leaking. I say it all the time. You're, yeah. you're leaking your force right now, man. You're starting com compromised. You're he, used to, he used to have a stand with whatever we were intending on squatting with at the competition. Okay. Right. So at the end of a, a training session, and you'd only it would be set in the pins. It would only be like a three-inch lockout. But you would just stand erect if you were looking to squat 600 at the meet for. 10 or 12 weeks leading up to the meet, you feel 600 on your back at the end of it. Now, at the beginning of the 12 weeks, that was heavy as hell by the end of it, right? And it was just how long you could, if you, 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 you learned how to stand erect and not leak. Right. Because you couldn't, if, if, if your knees were locked, if your hips were locked, you, that weight would crush you down to the pins. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is actually how your feet interact with the ground. You know, right. is that pressure overly on your heels or overly on your toes? Because if you can't find that sweet spot, you can't stand erect like that. Oh, brother, big poundage teaches with a big stick. Yeah, yeah. and you can only learn with that big poundage. So I used to, I'd have athletes come to me and say, Coach, why don't we do the ladder drills where we tap our feet and all that <laughs> stuff? And I'd say, well, let's do a little test. I said, well, stand there. And leap sideways, but don't put, you know, have light feet, have really light, be light on your feet. And they were like, well, I, I can't do that. I was like, what do you have to do? Well, I got to create a lot of pressure through the ground. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. So yeah. let's focus on that because that's like Phil said, everything in athletics is creating pressure through the ground. So people, you know, and like Phil said about creating pressure backwards, you know, but they're still creating pressure and they're, and everybody's like, yeah, but they're so fast. And like, yeah, but they're creating it and getting their foot off the ground faster than everybody else, right. you know, because they, because they create so much pressure, you know, Jim did, uh, did Phil ever come and work with you guys at Penn? I don't remember. Oh what yeah. Was saying. But, so well, he was trained coach there for a couple of years and then, okay. Then he came back and worked with us on Sparta to get us all started again. Okay. So, so Phil, you went out there to uh, Penn and, and, brought the uh, force plate and put all the athletes on it? Yeah, I mean, they used it for, and still use it, you know, they've been using it for, shoot, probably five years now. But, you know, as Jim mentioned before that, you know, I was a, a strength coach with, with Jim and Rob Wagner. That's how we first met. Okay. I, was in, uh, I went to medical school out there and popped in randomly one day and, you know, said, hey, I, I want to help, you know, and it was, you know, just a very uh, fortuitous, yeah, yeah, junction point in my life, you know, to, to meet both him and, and Wags and, you know, work together for a few years while I was out there. And you're, you're a, a non-practicing medical doctor, right? Correct. Yeah, I went to medical school, uh, but then actually wanted to help people, so stopped practicing as a physician. <laughs> your, parents, uh, your, parents, your, your parents must have had a heart attack. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think- Yeah, but it paid off. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the point, the reason I left was, you know, the, the last day I remember I walked in and saw this person with high blood pressure and I said, okay, so are you still smoking two packs a day? Yeah. Okay. Are you still drinking? Yeah. A couple, you know, a couple 12 packs a night. But, <laughs> I'm out, you know. Right. You're describing Jim. Oh, nice. But I just don't want to... You know, the hardest thing I think for anybody in this world should be that you don't make a difference, you know, and it's so hard in medicine as a physician these days to make a difference because of patient compliance or desire, right, to get better. If you don't want to get better, there's no fucking medicine that will help. And, and, and it's a lockstep. You join the lockstep conventional orthodox medical world. Right. And what medicine is going to make me better instead of focusing on the underlying conditions of lifestyle. Right. And, and you're allowed 15 minutes for every patient in the assembly line. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, right. Phil, Phil, you're making a huge difference out there in the sports world for sure. I was uh, looking at one of your, your uh, workshops or something you had on, on your website. And it, you, you said something to the effect that there's $700 million spent a year uh, in sports injuries. Is that number still accurate? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's higher now with COVID, you know, and, you know, now athletes having to basically be their own coach, their own trainer. Everything. Low time, right? Um, and it's yeah. interesting to see the baseball teams and players we work with have been exceptionally more prepared because they've had to go through the minor leagues. So they have to understand their body and their forces and they've had to do that for years by themselves, whereas football guys are really struggling because, you know, from an early age as football players, we're all told, yeah, if I want your opinion, I'm going to give it to you. Otherwise, you know, shut up. You know, yeah. that really broke with COVID because all the football players and teams had to now transfer immediately overnight from a dictatorship to a democracy. Right? Right. And, it's, and it's, you know, like any sort of dictator that leaves power there's a lot of chaos after that. Right. Damn. Um, so, that's it. That's it. That's it. Let me, let me get a word in here edgewise, if you don't mind. Uh, so I would think all these high price millionaires would have expert personal trainers, made probably better than what they got on the team. They, they have high price trainers. I, I, I would caution against the word expert. Uh, okay, but, uh, so there. So yeah, you're 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 not impressed with the quality of the that level of trainer that you're seeing. Yeah, I think the challenge becomes, you know, what again? What's the intent of what folks are doing? And I think a lot of times, what's missing is, you know, a, a true objective assessment on how you move. You, you know what my biggest late in life coaching joy is? It's leveraging significant gains for normal people, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Not dealing with the elite because you never know how much is you, how much is genetics, how much is whatever. And the money always makes things weird. So, but I really get a charge out of using these old school methods and just consistently getting profound results for regular guys, you know? 
It's, uh, it's, it's continually reinforcing and it's continually, it's the fuel for what I write. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we work with organizations all over the world and, you know, our favorite ones are those mid-major, smaller organizations because there is less bullshit because there's less money. And then so there's less, there's less, you know, alternate agendas. Ah, yes, indeed. Yes. Money, money taints everything. Yeah. And that's, and that's to Phil's point about trainers not maybe being so, so high in quality. Once you hand that check, you know, once you give that trainer the check, he's got to be, you know, he's, oh, he's just going to say, okay, we're just going to do three lifts and a little assistance and, uh, you know, practice your skills. Is that going to work? No, nobody's going to come back. They can do that on their own, you know? Um, so you, so you have to you have to differentiate. Yeah, so we're going to do the battle ropes, and then we're going to hop on one leg over here, and I'm going to tie You're a court jester. And, You what? You're a court jester. Yeah, and, and <laughs> oh my god, you know, and I was, and I love Cowboy Scaloni, so I watch all his stuff, and but he's wrong about this because he's like, man, my strength coach, we just do the same thing all the time. Can't you change it up? Well, she's yeah. she's come up with a plan that helps you the most for these six weeks, and why would you change it up? I got a great story on that, Jim. Yeah, to that point. Yeah. You know, our first client was a professional rugby team in Australia. And I went down there for a recheck, and their best player had eight years of hamstring pulls. And he was their best prospect. And they brought in Sparta, and he stopped having hamstring pulls. Uh, what, what was the uh, remedy? Well, yeah. So he had been doing heavy split squats, like 100 kilo plus split squats for mm. over a year. And he said, man, do I have to keep doing those? And I said, <laughs> when's the last time you had a hamstring injury? He said, about two years ago. And I said, I'm sorry, I am not sorry. And walked away, you know, because I think a lot of times people seek variety. Well, well wait, wait, so, the, so you said what? He found out what, what stopped, he, he was doing the exercise that stopped his hamstring pull, but then he got bored with it and wanted to do something else. And Phil's like, no, do what works. Keep okay. Going. Yeah, yeah, keep doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I think it, it speaks to Jim's point as well that you know, oftentimes we we seek variety, right? And instead of being focused on the goal and if it works, why change it? And there's certainly more options for variety than just changing the exercise, right? As you guys know, it's you know the reps, it's the tempo, tempo. tempo yeah. Plain, plain, plain vanilla is a tough sell. Telling yeah, yeah, and I think, but ultimately, that's why at least I developed Sparta is like to remind folks, you know, to stick with the basics because that what that's what works. I mean, we we lost a major client because their athletes didn't get better. You know why? Because their philosophy was TRX. <clears throat> doing suspension training, you know, the majority of the time newsflash it's not going to allow you to create more force right no no yeah and that was yeah. the best part of, of or one of my favorite things with sparta was i could look at the printout and i'd be like I wonder what exercise you know is improving the reactive force or the explode and it was all the exercises we do so we just needed to reinforce yep. you know with with certain athletes you know because if, if somebody's reactive force was low they need to do more deadlifts Mm -hmm. They need to do them, you know, more frequently, more deadlifts, heavier in order to get that reactive force uh, higher up to, to prevent injury. 
So that was great. It was, I never found an exercise on there that we didn't do, you know? So, so, and that's sort of what started the conversation with Marty and I, we were driving. I was like, that's the best thing about Sparta, man. I would look at those printouts and see that what we do is it, it reinforced what we all believe in, you know? And then we started yeah, just grabbing. <laughs> he's, he's preaching. He's preaching exactly what you guys preach. Yeah, that's right. You know, we sell plain vanilla. Right. Yeah. And, and then when it's reinforced by technology. Yeah. So so to people to people out there, to the athletes and these administrators, the Sparta is the gimmick that they can talk about with other people. So if they just said, Yeah, our athletes just do this, this, and this, but now they can say, and we're using this technology to improve our athletes. And all, they don't have to go into, hey, we're only doing these exercises over <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it gives them something to talk about. I, you know, I thought I found it interesting. Uh, we, when we were in uh, Damneck, uh, there was a, another outfit <clears throat> there at the same time, and they had a similar device that uh, some, something involved with jumping. Jump, jump up, and we'll tell you, we'll give you your report card. So I asked uh, their boss, who's a, actually a Washington, D.C. native and a, a good guy, I said, So, once they get the report card, what's the prescription? They said, oh, you go back to your coach and he'll figure it out. I said, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Good, man. That's the challenge with a lot of technology is you know, it, leaves it, it, uh, it leaves it too open to interpretation. You're just gathering a lot of data, yeah. a lot of information, but it doesn't necessarily change or reinforce what you're doing. Oh, you're just getting, you're getting a beautiful x-ray of where, where you're at currently. Yeah. There's no, there's no forward guide, forward guidance, but that's what you guys are doing. You guys are giving remedial, hey, if this is the issue, here's the remedy. Yeah. And it's mm. so easy. It's so easy. And, you know, and, go ahead, Martin. No, no, sorry. I was just going to ask Phil, I mean, once, once they're initially uh, assessed on the, the force plate, how often now do you have to reassess them? You know, they'll go back after the first assessment, you know, make some adjustments with their coach. Then when do you assess them again? What's recommended? Yeah, that's the most common question we get. And, oh, cool. And, and I think it, it, it stems from a larger problem, which is a lot of what we do is this assumptive intervals, right? You've got to train four times a week. You've got to split two and two, you know, You've got, to, you've got to change your program every four weeks, right? All these assumptions that really are based on the calendar, not really on physiology. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality, they're, they're generalizations. Yeah. And you assess, you know, when you're going to change something. That's mm-hmm. when you reassess. Yeah. One human at a time. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, you know, and so to be, to give examples, if you're in rehab, hopefully you're changing something every week to get back. And so you're reassessing every week. If you're healthy and really just training hard early in a cycle, like then you might only assess every three weeks. Mm -hmm. And some of the data we've been looking at, the change is every five days. You know, so if you wanted to, you're, micro cycles don't need to be a seven day a week calendar they can be every five days well plus if you have the device there why not do most right. of them have the device will a team purchase yeah. the device and have yeah. it 
course. Yeah, yeah, they buy it. So they've got it. They've, they've, they've got it, right? So it's like, if, if I had access to it, I'd be on the thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, the goal isn't to uh, have us there holding their hand, explaining everything. The, the goal is to, you know, teach them how to fish. Give them the device, give them the data. Right. It ain't, it, it, ain't, it ain't hard, is it, Bill? No, no. It's like a two-minute scan, right? No. That's if not. I could figure it out, you know. Anyway. <laughs> I would so, just, the kid, so the kid, so the kid would jump. I'd look at the data. I'd be like, okay, they need to do more deadlifts. Hey, that's and a good joke. program the deadlift. And that's really as simple as it was to me. And, and that was perfect because I didn't have time to do that stuff and monitor you know, what they did last night or where their GPS went and all this. I, you know, that's what I needed. And it was kind of dry. Phil, I heard a, I heard a, Jimmy, that's good. That's a good point. But I wanted to get this in. Phil, I heard a good explanation against high rep deadlift. Dr. James Wright was, uh, Jimmy was the uh, science and health editor at Flex Magazine for 10 years. He had been in charge of the Army's uh, fitness program. He was a colonel, big deal. And he said, you know, he said in the deadlift, the problem is, is that your, your, your hips and your legs and your thighs can keep repping when your upper back's fatigued, right? So now you've got a dangerous situation because you've got part of your spinal column not muscled up anymore. And that's when the bad stuff happens, right? Because you, you can keep repping because your legs and hips are, they're still strong, but up top, you're like, oh, you're yep. dead. That's the weak point. And then yep. you're only strong as your weakest point, you know? And, and that's then that's where the disc stuff happens. Right. right. Oh, the deadlift's dangerous. It hurts people. Yeah, it does. If you're doing it yeah. you're not doing it right. Yeah. And I think that, as you guys know, too, there's all sorts of, you know, remedial or even advanced, you know, variants of it by changing the range of motion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had a professional baseball player come in and saw every major surgeon you could think of in the U.S. And they all told him that, you know, he needed to get surgery, you know, and he came in to see us. And I said, okay, you know, we're going to deadlift. He goes, yeah, I can't deadlift. I said, great. Go ahead and put uh, 60 kilos on the bar. He's like, no, I can't deadlift. I said, no, I heard you. Put 60 yeah. No, you you can you just haven't gone light enough right but the other thing too marty is you haven't gone short enough i mean we yeah, started, short or short enough we we started only at 60 kilos from the knees uh, yeah and 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 then by the end of the off season three months later you know he's doing 400 kilos off the floor when he couldn't even pick up you know 50 kilos before and it, it pulled all his stuff out and opened it up and right stretched it the other direction, you know. Rector's got thick as hell. Right, yeah. yeah exactly. So it, it's opening all that 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 constricted, cramped, uh, you know, pulled inward from pitching. You know, now it's the deadlifts opening it, opening it up. Right. It's so oh, funny that doctors would say that when it's the most evolutionarily perfect exercise, putting stuff over your head and picking stuff off stuff up off the ground. That's what we're meant to do. Yeah, I think that the challenge becomes it's it's been so bastardized in terms of, yeah, just do deadlift and someone walks away where, you know, as you guys all know, deadlift's a skill that, right. you know, should be taught, teaches you how to keep your spine neutral. That's right. You know, teaches you how to brace. That's right. You know, you know, and it's proprioception. I mean, even the, the <laughs> short range of motion, proprioception is great yeah. because it forces you to realize where that box, where that plinth actually is. 
Yeah. And what you did with him is you started at the box and then you were sort of opposite of Paul Anderson, Marty. Or yeah. Go down, down. Yeah, a little, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think to that point, you know, advanced folks need the same thing. It's kind of on the tails, right? You can work certain parts of the deadlift to enhance it for the advanced folks. But if you're injured, right, you can start at that. And then what we did is every, every three weeks when we reassess, we would take that deadlift down three inches. Right. You know, so way down just so above the knees to the ground. So did you steal that from Brad Gillingham? I did not. I've, yeah, I did not. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm a telling you did. <laughs> I'm faster than them. I can, I can. <laughs> yeah. No, I tore I tore your hamstring off the bone <laughs> in 97, so I don't know how fast you are. Phil, Phil, I want to ask you. <laughs> that is true. Jim just mentioned the hamstring story. You know, I, I pulled my hamstring doing some spinning, showed back up at, at Penn when I was working with Jim and, and Wags as a coach. And I said, yeah, I'm training for this Olympic meet, but I can't lift because I pulled my hamstring. You know, Jim walks in the other room, pulls out like a wrap. He's like, just wrap it, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I continued to train with a pulled hamstring, and, it, and at the time it worked out well. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, again – the way we addressed it at that time too is a shortened range of motion. Yeah. You know, it's not the movement that's the problem, right? Let's just shorten the range of motion, get comfort, <clears throat> and then increase that range of motion. Yeah. And I think yeah. back to the comment that sparked an idea, Marty, we do do high rep deadlifts when it's shortened range of motion. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So exactly. We do do from the above the knees because if you're only moving at six inches, exactly. Three reps, your set's over after six seconds. Right. Right. So okay. really and, and and by taking them to the to the edge of their capacity, that's where the adaptive response triggers, and that's where all the good stuff happens. You Absolutely. have to you have to teach them how to bump up against those limits safely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Phil, let me ask you, um, does, does all the athletes data go into the same place? In other words, um, you know, or do you guys consider height, weight, uh, anything else? Is it, you know, do you categorize the, the data or? Yeah. So we categorize it, um, mostly off MOS, you know, that the, which is occupation, um, you know, okay. in the military, um, mm -hmm. or, or sport, you know, more as an interesting, you know, factor, but the, 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 we always have to be careful of assumptions with data, right? We get asked all the time by baseball, you know, why don't you guys make a baseball specific database? And our answer is you can do what's called overfitting in data, where you make these assumptions that make the results actually less accurate and that catchers yeah. are actually more similar to offensive linemen than they are to other baseball players. Interesting. Right. Are more similar yeah. quarterbacks. Right? Yeah, you said there's carryover. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and there's carryover because, you know. All right, all right now, wait a minute, wait a minute. <clears throat> Steel's son is a catcher. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the, you, you know. better the, start, start feeding him, Jim. Man, he squats his ass off. He pulled, <laughs> he pulled 375 the other day, did 3 45 for five no 365 for five when what 168 okay he's getting bigger he's pray for height pray for height he's got <laughs> the height man yeah he's hopefully it'll just keep growing he's 14 six foot yeah love it 
keep going. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Phil. Yeah, we're sorry, Phil. We get off in these thought bubbles. Yeah, we, well, we swerved. Think, sorry. I think that the, the point is that, like, the data, you know, it's important to gather all the information, but we have to be careful about being overly specific about mm -hmm. assumptions, right? In that there's a lot of shared similarities between different groups or, or cohorts. And, and so making sure that we're not overly specific. I mean, we're, we're now even working in seniors with fall risk. You know, um, so we, we certainly aren't putting 80 year olds in the same database as, you know, you know, 30 year old baseball players, you know, or 16 year old female volleyball players. Right. Yeah. Well, what, what is interesting, JP, is that you can look at the positions and what they do in their position and then They'll, this position will have a low explode overall. This position will have a low drive. This this position will have a high, you know, a rebounder has a high explode, but they're weak on the load. You know, it's really interesting. And then you can look. So we had a big chart of it and we'd see different sports and you'd say, oh, the wrestler matches up. The wrestler's profile yeah. matches up with the offensive lineman's profile, matches up with, you know, the catcher's profile. And so, you know, in, instead of saying, all catchers need to do this, you can say, wow, you know, this is the activity that they do. And this is what the weaknesses that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right because it's, it's what you're doing most of the time that's dictating your, that movement signature, you know, so you're, you're reverse engineering the programs. Well, yeah. And also if they've been a catcher their whole life, they're going to have a dominant squat pattern because they get in the gym and, and squat, you know, twice a week. That's nothing compared to catching a nine inning game six times a week, yeah, you know, right, in right. terms of time. I mean, the, the quote we always say is from Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do, right? Excellence is not an act, but a habit, you know? And so, you know, it's that repeatability of what you're exposed to that ultimately determines how you mm -hmm. move. Now, I, I know you don't like to get too specific in physical characteristics and things like that, but have you found through all this research that you've done, and you guys have scanned just so many thousands and thousands of athletes and military personnel, but are there certain characteristics that you've noticed um, have higher chances of, of, like, for example, would a taller pitcher have um, more of a chance of getting, you know, having to have Tommy John surgery one day because of the longer limbs or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really, it really differs. One of the best parts about baseball, the reason why it's America's game is it is completely diverse and democratic in that, you know, there are fat pitchers that are short and tall pitchers that are skinny and, you know, and so it really depends, you know, on the individual, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, if we use basketball example, it's much more homogeneous yeah. where everybody has high explode. Everybody's tall and skinny. Yeah. And, yeah. If, if you don't, if you don't have high explode and you play basketball, <laughs> you are going to be the cowboy pretty quick. You know, <laughs> right. like, you know on, the, on the flip side, most, if not all good pitchers have terrible explode. They have terrible oh. reactive strength. Wow. But it makes sense. They're one of the few positions where they dictate the timing. They don't react. Hmm. Golfers and pitchers 
dictate when they want to move. Right. They don't have to respond to anything else. Ah, interesting. So it's, like, like, it's like deadlifting. Yeah, and what's the most mm-hmm. common injury in golfers and pitchers? Elbow. Mm, back. Low back. They have Twist, full twisting. reactive strength. Oh, yeah. Twisting. Right. And twisting only in one direction. Twisting in only one direction and poor, poor uh, reactive strength. So we deadlift a lot with those individuals because they have blow explode. Even where I bet they're weak. You brought up they do everything on one side. We actually load 50% more on the other side. On their weak side. Correct. Yeah. Because that's really trying to accelerate that bracing ability. Because unlike a lifter, we're not trying to have them deadlift more as the end goal. The deadlift is the process to have them hit or throw better. So we, we basically offset that load to even further enhance that increase in reactive strength. But are they, are you, are you overloading on that side because they're deficient? Yes. Okay. So you're bringing up, you're bringing up, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to say a weak limb, but kind of like when your left arm is significantly weaker than your right, as I'm finding as I get older. Yeah, I think though, right, a lot of times it's it's not as simple as the limb. Like, for example. No, I understand. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah, for, but back to my, we talked about my hamstring injury. On my, I have a left hamstring that's non-existent and now a left, I don't have a left quad or a left ACL or MCL. <laughs> so my whole left side's jacked on my lower leg. You should have used my, Sparta, man. You should have used Sparta. Yeah, no kidding. My, my right back is atrophied, right? Because your right back is what controls your left leg. <clears throat> well, position to heal thyself. <laughs> oh, no, I got, I, I mean, I, I got a rugby game tomorrow. It's not slow. Yeah. There you go, man. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. So how's your reactive force? Mine's always been good. My challenge, yeah, yeah. My, my challenge has always been what we call drive, which is mm. your concentric impulse, your ability to prolong force production, um, and really is more, you know, single leg, again, still heavy, but single leg posterior chain type movements, you know, that, you know, help sustain that force production. And so really give, an, heavy- give an example of that. Give an example of being able to s- sustain that force. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could say, Hey, do a squat and do a six Oh one tempo. You know, my experience with athletes and myself has been no one, if it's heavy, no one's fucking counting six seconds on the way down. No way. You know, so the best way to get that type of eccentric stimulus that's heavy is to take away a leg. So you elevate that back leg on a split squat and basically you're squatting with that six Oh one tempo and you don't no longer have to do math on your descent and ascent, you know, instead. Yeah. Like, yeah, so. yeah. And strip and strip weight off that bar. Yeah, exactly. You know, so training wise, it's related to that tension, that time under tension. Yeah, right. making, and making lightweights heavy. Right. But I mean, to improve that, mm. to improve that finishing. So I'm, I'm interested, like when you said that that's, so in a rugby game, how would give an example of w- what activity you would need 
to have that prolonged force. Yeah. Anything that, you know, you talked about sprinting earlier, right? The, the acceleration phase of sprinting yeah. is that prolonged force. I see. I mean, the reason why Usain Bolt is never in front at 10 meters, right. never in front at 20 meters, right. but, at, but at 60 meters, he's throwing his hands up because the, the race is over. Yeah. So he can keep up his top speed for a long, longer period of time and during the acceleration phase than the next guy. Right. And they did an analysis and Bolt has the highest impulse and impulse is force multiplied by time. He has yes. the highest impulse yes. of I, I, any sprinter. And so when Jim's example brings up the now last- wait, before, before you spin off, let me just add this. Probably, if you do an analysis, he's probably also going to be the largest major sprinter of all time. I don't think there's ever been a bigger, faster man in the world. Yeah, what is he, like 6'5"? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if he's that tall, dude. but I'm just saying, I, I think that, that, that this, his sheer size has to be factored into that. For uh, is it, and also, Phil, is this the difference between torque and horsepower? Um, well, the acceleration, the, the, that's, that's a kind of a low end kind of a torque thing, dig in and and push, once you get up to speed, you're almost gliding across the surface of the earth. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, you know, so much of the focus on sprinting is, you know, things like, you know, as Jim mentioned, like ladder, but, you know, sprinting is really about acceleration. That's the most important part. And the most important part about acceleration is that impulse, that each step you want to get as much force over time as possible. Because when you leave the ground, you're no longer pushing. And when you're no longer pushing, you're no longer sprinting. Having said that, I think that that Bolt is actually the opposite. He's he's slow off the start, but he he has tremendous top end speed. Right, and for a long period of time. Yeah, but his top end speed, he's just playing faster. If everybody gets up, forget acceleration. If everybody's running as fast as they can, he's still the fastest, right? In terms of time, yeah, in, in terms of the time of the race, yeah, he's, he's still the fastest. But, but no, one's, yeah, no one's ever accelerated like Bolt has. That's the key difference. How about Ben Johnson? No, not even close. Yeah, there, there's when it comes to impulse and acceleration, no one is close. What, what do you attribute it to? What's so different about him? Um, it's hard. It's 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 hard to say. I mean, I think a lot of the training I've seen that he does is sled work and sprinting. And with a weighted sled, what it does, right, is it forces you to push and stay on the ground longer with each step. So you're thinking it, it's the, it's the unique or maybe even revolutionary training. Or, or, in, or in rural Jamaica, the lack of distractions and bullshit. You know? Right. And, and, and great, and obviously great genetics to begin with. I saw they had, early, they had early video of him and he's like the same height, but he's weighing like 185. 
and looking very thin, defined, but thin, right? And then you see him at his peak and it's like, whoa, dude, you gained about 40 pounds of muscle. What happened? I mean, he's just a bigger human now. Must be the creatine. Must be. <laughs> well, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying that it is performance enhancing drugs. I think that there are just certain humans that are like, you know, Jim Brown or Will yeah. Chamberlain or, you know, guys that are just Bo Jackson that are just born, boom, there you are, you know. They picked the right parents. Is what they and they picked the right sport and they got, you know what I mean? And everything worked out and they were born in the right country. And, you know, yeah. so I just think that uh, Bolt, I'm just wondering what it is that you think is a, is a professional uh, and you're telling me that you think it's a training? Well, I, I, I do think training played a role. Certainly, you know, genetics and all those other things do as well. But since I can't change those, I don't give a shit about them. Right. You know, we started working with, with a baseball team years ago and, and the strength coach said, you know, we should be measuring everybody's arm height, leg length, you know, with, with all these, um, with all these force tests. I said, we can't change their arm length and leg length. So I don't care. You know, yeah, what are you going to do? Do, you do your own study, you know, and find interesting things. Go for it. You know, I'll, I'll yeah, or, or, or you can't be a catcher. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I, I guess I, I like to focus on what we can change. And so that's why I almost perhaps to a fault block out all those other things, genetics and, and, and such. Where do you see it going? I, I think that where I see all this going is that we can be more insightful and accurate with data to make things simpler. I mean, everything, everything in the world has gotten way too complicated and complex. It doesn't need to be, you know, and so how can we do less better and use technology to do that? Like, and really, I think a lot of times data and, and, and technology adds things. It should be the opposite. It should be stripping things away, you know, where you only do exactly what you need and strip out all the fluff. Yep. Yes, yes. How simple can a system be made before it loses effectiveness? I go to an acupuncturist and his philosophy you know, and a lot of them share this now is rather than putting in 50 needles, just put in two or three. The right two or three in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because 50 needles, you know, you're giving the body 50 signals. Hey, carpet, carpet bombing. Yeah. That's very good. Well, I think that's what's so attractive too about the, the force plate technology. I mean, you're having them do three different moves. That's it. And they have, I guess they have an app now, right? And when they look at the app, they have three bar graphs. Very yeah. simple. You look yeah. at those numbers. And, and they have a workout on there too. Yeah. yeah the, goal, the goal a lot of times for the value is doing less. I mean, I remember looking at the data when Jim was at Penn and the volleyball girls were making these massive gains in force production. I said, Jim, what the, what's going on, man? And he said, well, it's easy. We started training two days a week instead of three. That's right. <laughs> you know, and I said, wow, like, that's yeah. it. Like, that's the goal. We yeah. just, we just gave everybody a day of time a week. Wow. More, than, more than that, you gave them more energy and more vibrancy for right. other things. Right. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's funny when we had a coaching change and we'd been doing the Sparta stuff and, you know, uh, one of the girls said, man, I hope they hire somebody who likes what you do, coach. And she's mm -hmm. referring to Sparta and the way I coach them and all that too. Mm -hmm. And I said, why is that? She said, because we never get hurt. <laughs> and I'm, I'm afraid somebody's going to come in here and say, oh, no, they need to do this. And not that I would let them do that, but it would be a battle. But uh, that, was, that was so telling to me. We, we never get hurt. Well, and Jim, when, when Phil started coming in with, uh, with his technology, I mean, what did that do with injuries? I mean, what did that do with the injury rate? How noticeable was it? How fast was it? Was it was amazing. Phil has the, the stats on the, what we saved the school and, and what was it, insurance or something like that, Phil. But yeah, it's, uh, it was ridiculous, JP. They, they, they plummeted, plummeted. Really? And, you know, the funny thing is, is uh, every training camp you'd have certain injuries. It'd be the year of the hamstring, the year of the shoulder, the year mm -hmm. of the low back. And we sort of accepted that was going to happen. But when I could see how fatigued these kids were on the force plate, then I could make adjustments and say to the coach, hey, coach, uh -huh. you know, running those six one tens at the end of every practice is not – conducive to where we want to be recovery wise and to get them ready for the most important thing, the game. You're just wearing right. them down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, and you know, and Phil has stories of this Marty where major, major, major universities don't want Sparta or had it and got rid of it because it. it holds them accountable yep. for their stupid practices yep. that, that they do. The, the staying out there for three hours. Why am I not surprised? Why captain, am I not surprised? Captain practices and extra this and extra that, which is all put out by the coaches. It makes them have to change their philosophy and have an open mind. And we all know egos overrule that sometimes they don't, don't want that in particular if you're on sprint scholarship well damn it you're going to sprint 100 percent every day right you know. no you're no you're not you're going to do 100 percent of 79 percent recovery yeah and the beauty of it was if a coach said well how do you know that and i could say here's the data <laughs> and that backed me up you know, that report card. yes yes yeah, so that was good stuff, man. Really. Is, is there anything on the horizon that excites you, Phil, te technologically, or? You know, I think, you know, it, it, the, I guess the exciting, the exciting piece for for me is we're starting to see uh, some fatigue around data and technology. You know, because it's been a few a few years since data and technologies really exploded in terms of training and health. And so now people have had a few years to try and use different things and they're just realizing they're not using it at all. You know, like your story, Marty, with, you know, talking with the other group down in Damneck, you know, that's, that's happening across the military and across sports yeah. is people have been gathering information <clears throat> for years now and now realized, well, it's not really changing what we do. And hopefully that triggers, you know, this decision of getting something that is insightful or just using nothing because right. nothing is bad is better than describing the water while you're drowning. You might as right. well just have nothing. Right. Right. Perfect. Perfect analogy. Yeah. yeah. And Phil, is, is your technology used the same from sports to military or does this military have a different kind of challenge, different challenges that the sports world doesn't, therefore you have to assess them differently or go about it differently? 
Yeah. So the, you know, the, the tests are, you know, the same, you know, the databases are slightly altered. Um, you know, there's different tests more based on, you know, what the intent is. Like, for example, in the Air Force, we do a lot of planks because it's a great screen for neck pain. Mm, Which if okay. you're flying at Mach 2 with a heavy helmet, you're going to have neck pain. Right. You know, and so it, it's really based on who you're evaluating and which tests might be more important. Um, and so, you know, that's just one example of, of pairing the specific test and hypothesis with the actual occupation, the MOS, the sport. Right. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. What's, uh, yeah, what's, uh, Marty said, what's on the horizon? Well, what's your future plans with all this? I mean, you guys expanding, you, you're already worldwide. I mean, is there any technology that you guys have coming up that you're going to release that you can talk about or just anything different? Yeah, I'm kind of laughing, JP, because, you know, you're asking me what other flavors we have besides vanilla. Yes. Know, or what other. Yes. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. Right? Yeah, right. You don't have sprinkles. <laughs> I, think, I think the goal is to, and this is not sexy, but <laughs> it's totally accurate, is can, you know, how do we be even more surgical with insights? So mm. if right now, you know, we can predict, you know, 20% of every injury that happens. The goal is to predict 25%. And the way we do that is, you know, through more data and more insights. Like, okay, we found with baseball right. players, for example, that, you know, to improve eccentric rate of force or load with pro baseball players, the Caucasians need more heavy single leg squatting where Dominicans need heavy bilateral squatting, you know? So <laughs> that's just one example in the way that pharmacology has evolved as well is, you know, African-Americans get different blood pr pressure medication than Caucasians, right? And so how do we continue to layer on the individual's makeup to provide even more accurate insights? Right. Wow. It's yeah. not a new test. <laughs> It's not, you know, anything fancy, new hardware, new tests. It's the new world we live in, which is big data. How do we take that big data and leverage it more? Right. And le leverage is uh, another phrase for the end user making progress. Right, right. That's, that's what makes the world go around. <clears throat> results. Measurable results. Yeah, and the more and more you scan, the the more and more accurate you guys get. Well, kind of, any, it's kind of anybody can take an X-ray, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah, I mean anybody can get an X-ray, and I think more alarming is anybody's going to find something on an X-ray. Yeah, and it's like, okay, here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sure do. You you got some serious problems here. How many mm -hmm. athletes do you figure that you've, well, you probably know the exact amount of how many athletes you've scanned that have their data in there that the new people coming along get their data compared to? Yeah, I mean, there's tens of thousands of, of athletes and even more, yeah. you know, war fighters at this point. And, right. it, you know, I think that 
those types of additions and, and database allows, you know, just a greater level of accuracy because there's more layers, right? You can start breaking up 20 year olds versus 30 year olds, you know, more, more columns, more columns, more columns, you know, and, and that allows even a more specific output and insight. Yeah. And that's another thing to save time when you can, without, you know, you don't have to figure as much out when you got all that data. And, and you keep you 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 keep the measuring mode there's the, the the what you're saying is the measuring mode doesn't need improvement we're fine with that we just need more open up the categories a little more instead of looking at five things now we look at 20 things that's right and and i think you know if you do a balance test for example on the force plate that generates 24 million data points whoa geez. so you know, that's one person, one time, right? So if you've got a hundred people doing balance that day, you know, do the math, that's just a lot of data. Yeah. And so that can continue to provide insights, you know, more to how to address every different individual. Like if we think about the military right now, you know, at least on the conventional side, there's a lot of problems going on with, this new army combat fitness test and higher failure rate that exists with females. And the ironic part is all the females have no problem with it. You know, the female warfighters don't want a different test. You know, they want the same test. And so why do we continue to waste all this time trying to find the perfect test as opposed to being better at individualizing how each person can be prepared for that test. Right. Yeah, prove them. Cross now, the Phil, board, are they cross all, the board, cross the board. Uh, for, the, for the Army uh, fitness test, are, is each soldier run through your assessment? Um, the, the Army hasn't fully adopted it yet. Um, the bases that, and installations that do use it will, yeah, do the testing every week, every mm-hmm. month you know, as really that leading indicator, because just like a powerlifting meet, you know, the army combat fitness test, you can't do every day. You can't do it every week. Right. You know, you can't do it every month. Right. So if you do it once or twice a year, what's your leading indicator to know, to make sure that you're tracking positively towards that goal. And it's only, it's only three jumps, right? I mean, yeah. Not like you're asking them to run an obstacle course. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? It literally takes two minutes. Man. It takes two minutes. It takes you two minutes. You do a whole football team in a few days, 120 kids. It's nothing. You know. Nothing. And I would imagine by now you guys are used throughout all branches of the military, right? Yeah. Top down, left, right. Yeah. Meaning, yeah, everything from spec ops to, you know, the National Guard, Damn. which is, you know, more of a weekend, you know, duty. And then yeah. certainly across branches, you know, uh, Navy to Air Force to Army to Marines, um, you know, th- so all the branches as well. And, and the different MOSs within those, we work with cyber and we work with special operators. Yeah. Good are for they, you guys. Uh, are they, uh, I suspect they're em- embracing the analysis. Are they embracing the prescriptions? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Cause those are separate, you know, um, you know, there's certainly more of an art to the prescriptive side. Um, 
And, and I think that's where we also get value from a data standpoint is, you know, if everybody's doing the same things to address the same diagnosis, you know, we don't get as much value out of that. But since people do different things, that allows us to say, okay, these things definitely work where these are actually detrimental. Mm -hmm. Talk about reactive strength, you know, single leg movements, like we talked about heavy split squat is the worst for that. If you want to improve your reactive strength, right? Because the single leg movements will actually make it go down because it's slow. It's slow. Yeah, that's right. So you get more and more, more and more data. On the one hand, on the other hand, single leg movements have their value in other situations. Right. That's what he was saying before about the, if you want to improve. But you, you sculpt the prescription based upon the patient or the student or the client that's sitting in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. And with more data, you're able to pinpoint that even. even Oh, hell yeah, absolutely. Give me 20, 20 data points about them. I want to know the more I know the, the more precise and the more result producing the prescription is going to be. And that's what it's about. It's about producing result producing prescriptions. You either make progress or you don't, and it's measurable because everything we do, the world we live in, it's math, it's sets, it's reps, it's weight, it's poundage, it's body weight, it's body fat percentile, it's numbers, it's all numbers, and we just manipulate the numbers through through training and uh, nutrition, nutrition, you know, and on we go. It's just biology and math. And you have to pair the two, the score of your of your your Sparta score. And the training, or it doesn't work. They can jump all they want. But yeah. if you're not prescribing the right exercises to make those. Right. Those, uh, yeah, the analogy. Higher. Yeah. The analogy we use, right, is standing on a weight scale doesn't make you lose weight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're just measuring it, man. You're yeah. Just measuring. Yeah. It. That's it. That's right. It. That's and, it. and you know, and Phil, that's been a problem, right? You have some schools or some bases or whatever that are following it to 100. That's what we did you know, when I was in charge and then you have other schools that don't, don't follow it. And then they say, well, why is it not working? This, did we paid so much and it's not working? Well, you're not doing the, giving them the medicine, man. Yeah. You're telling them what's wrong with them. You're not giving them the medicine. Yeah. And that's it, right? I think we all have to be open to, if the information is good, we have to be open to change, right? right. We have to be open to, you know, doing things differently, whether that's different, so, different training schedules. Yeah. Phil, you're either a, a scientist or a fundamentalist. And if you're a scientist, you're open to new things. I want to be disproven. You know what I mean? I want all my little smelly orthodoxies flipped over and I want new and exciting things. A fundamentalist defends a position. And doesn't right? waver, right? Mark? I'm fossilized. That's it. I need no more input from anybody. I have the method. We are Solid science. Yeah. You know, I often wonder if I would have been so open to Sparta if if I didn't believe wholeheartedly in everything Phil did. You know what I mean? Because there were some things on there that, you know, just like the split squats, we weren't doing those and certain exercises we weren't doing. But, you know, Phil said it and I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. You know, it turned out to work. The good thing was that the basic stuff that I really believed in were the first exercises. And and because Phil is a scientist, he's just giving you the prescription. He doesn't have any energy on it. He's not championing one-legged squats because he's got a book out on right. one-legged exercise. Right. You know what I mean? Right. 
it's just he's just giving you the this is what you need if you want to correct that you need to do this yeah yeah i mean i love go ahead my my background and my love is in olympic lifting you know and you know early on as a coach you know i wanted everybody to olympic lift but not everybody needs that i used to tell our athletes that you know if i found that that backstroke was the best way to improve you know the way they move then we would build a fucking pool in the back you know but <laughs> You know, and that just that concept of if you're fully committed to making another individual better, you have to be open-minded. Right. If you are okay. a fundamentalist, yeah. I, I would say it's, if you're a fundamentalist, it's far worse than you described, Marty. That <laughs> yeah. means if you're a fundamentalist, it means you actually don't care about helping the person you're trying to right. help. That's true. Well, you, you, you think you are. You you're think you're, you think you're handing down the Ten Commandments. Yeah, because at that point, you're more committed to your philosophy than that individual's outcome. Oh, absolutely. And if that's the case, if training was a profession, a medical profession, you should be disbarred. Right. Yeah, we call it fitness malpractice. Yeah, it's fitness. That's a good word. It's fitness malpractice. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. And, and a lot of it is unknowing, unbeknownst, done out of ignorance. They don't know any better. Yeah. Well, they refuse to, you know, they refuse to get put themselves out there because that's a blow to their ego. And everybody pretends right. to train and everybody pretends to get results. What did they say about the, the Russians used to have a saying? Uh, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. <laughs> yeah. As <laughs> citizens, you mean? Yeah. 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 And that's what it is in fitness. We pretend to train and they pretend to train us. And we pretend we're doing fitness and everything's great. I'm doing fitness. You see them at the YMCA every day, right? They're on the bike at the same time. No one ever sweats. No one ever exerts. You, you have to push the body up to its current limits of capacities. That's where all the, yeah, yeah. you know, you're not going to, you can't, the body's not going to radically transform itself doing the same thing. Yeah, I had great. a volleyball girl come in one time, Phil, and she was like, 10 sets of one? <laughs> I got to do 10 sets of one? I was like, dude, you want to get hurt? She was like, no. I was like, 10 sets of one. Here we go. You know, and you're done in 25 minutes. And she, and you, she probably made a believer of her. Of course. Yeah. It works. Well, you are quite persuasive. Yes, I am. The manipulator. <laughs> Well, guys, this was great. Uh, I think Phil had about an hour. We've overstayed our uh, welcome, welcome here. Our welcome, again. yeah. Give, it, give me another beer, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll start wrapping it up here. But, man, we appreciate you coming in. It's yeah. always so fascinating, all the, the science and, and things you guys are doing out there and all the injuries you guys are preventing from, you know, this, the sports world to the military world. Um, you guys are really, truly getting out there and doing some good things and making a difference, you know, like you said earlier on. So is there, Phil, you got anything uh, you want to plug that's coming up? Any, uh, any workshops or uh, anything coming up? Uh, just any visits or anything you want to plug anything? <laughs> What's your website? That'd, that'd be Quick. good. Yeah, I mean, we, we just have, a, I mean, the, the website has kind of a host of, of resources, you know, on a lot of these topics, you know, reactive strength and, 
and 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 even case studies around a lot of which you know Jim Jim mentioned. Yeah. Not only individuals but also groups, you know, leveraging data, you know, to have outcomes, you know, because that's really what it's about, right? Is like are you actually changing the outcome of a group of an individual? Um, you know, I think in terms of workshops and 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 those types of things, I think we're not, yeah, we're 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 pretty inundated with like just getting our hands dirty on sites with 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 you know folks to help them. Um, so we don't have too much yeah. um, uh, marketing events like that. Everything's pretty organic at this point. Right. Well, because it works. And uh, your website is spartascience.com. You guys have a lot of good videos on there. I was watching a couple of them. Fascinating stuff. Um, so anybody that's considering this technology, go on there. Phil's on there explaining everything in video I'm form. I'm somewhere. I'm on there. You're uh, on there? Yeah. yeah, I can do a little video interview. There's what a you video do? on there and, and Jim Jim's talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at I Am Company. Uh, you can find his latest article, Reactive Force, Coil and Explode. Boy, that's, yeah, uh, Marty. that's a good one. Kind of relating to uh, today's yep. topic. Wow. How coincidental. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And... Uh, you know, Phil, I don't know if you ever visit Marty's Instagram. In case you didn't know the address, it's at the Marty Gallagher. You can go visit him. Uh, and visit, uh, visit Stacy. And his beautiful <laughs> wife's website. We can't forget her. It's functional strength.org. And as usual, if you're looking for anything from strength equipment to free weights to gym flooring, check us out at ironcompany.com. And uh Jim Steele's got, uh, we got to get you a new article up here pretty soon. Yep, on our should be, site. Should be, uh, I should send it tomorrow morning. I'm just editing. Okay. You, know what they, you know what they used to call Jim Wright at Flex Magazine? What? The stone cutter. You know, we might have to start calling you that, Jim. What's that mean? It means how slow he was. He would, he'd have 30 I days. Got to one write, article a month, dude. He'd have 30 yeah. days to write a feature article. He'd get to day 29 and he'd call me up and he'd go, oh, if I could only think of a title. Yeah, well, I was going to finish no. tonight, but my son got kicked out of the baseball game for saying that you did. Jim's Jim's so, thing is his work is wild? so. <laughs> Jim's work is so beautiful and so pristine. Oh, yeah. It takes him every bit of thirty days to get that thing back over oh, to yeah. us. Yeah, I never doubt about that. All, All right. right, wait, I got Paul's barbell. Let me tell you real quick. <laughs> Good minute. Go ahead. So the article, I I just put a new article up. I'm at the gym the other day, Marty. This is going to make you nuts, <laughs> and. I trained this kid. He's a baseball kid, and he's going for his new max, 520, college baseball kid. 520 right? what? Squat. 520, that's great. Damn good, isn't it? It's damn yeah. good. He's a tough kid. He's good. He's good, strong kid. Loves it, loves it. I think he likes lifting more than baseball. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got James, who's who, uh, my 14-year-old, on one side of the bar. Yep. And, and he deadlifts, you know, almost 400. I'm over he, there on the other he side. He can handle his end. He can handle his end. So, and he's in the spotter racks. And I see this guy watching this kid, Matt, get ready to squat. Okay, that's cool. It's a big lift. I would stop and watch also. And he starts creeping over. Oh, and no. I know he's going to oh, try no. to spot him from behind. From behind. Here he comes. 
So here he comes uh, and he puts his hands under Matt uh, and Matt comes out of the bottom and, and uh, is that the hardest part of the squat? Yes. So he's going to uh, struggle just a little bit. And he touches him. And he touches him. This guy's hands are getting closer to touch him uh, and I swat his hand while I'm spotting. I swat him away yep. from spotting. <laughs> I don't know the guy from Adam, but I, you know, I gave him a pretty good swat. Because what you don't understand is if Matt misses, if you touch Matt, yes. his life for a whole week is is crap. It well, means plus so he's going to collapse because yes. you're breaking his concentration. Right, yeah. right. Who is this guy? Oh man, it was, and, and then it was just hilarious. Anyway, I wrote about that in my latest column. Was there any? Was there any after the set words exchanged? Yeah. No, I said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry, but." And then I explained, you know, if you touch him and he gets out of position or he misses the lip. Was he okay with that? He said, I think he's one of those people that got a little screw loose. Yeah, he said, uh, good gym guy. Oh, I don't know how I would live with myself if something happened to him. Uh, yeah. And the point yeah. I made in the article was, you don't even know him. Wow. You don't even know him. He could be a, a serial killer. He could be, <laughs> what do you mean? Who cares? Like, what are you talking about? He might be sitting up there all day long and bringing a bag lunch with him. It was a little strange. It was a little weird. And then we just tried watching to for guys to spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's watching for guys to spot. So the name of the column is Don't Touch Me. Don't Touch Me. Oh, that's how I broke my leg. Yeah. I had, had 700 pounds on my back on a light day. I was a little casual. The bar slid down my back because it was sweaty. Had a guy run across the gym floor and he's going to grab me from behind. I was just going to throw the bar, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he grabbed me, and we both went down on a tumble. Oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> I got a compound fracture in my left wow. leg. Wow. Battle scars. Five anyway. weeks Five weeks before the Nationals. Mm -mm -mm. Damn. All right. All right, guys. All right. Thank you very Thanks. much, Phil. Thanks, guys. If he's still there. All right. Thanks, Talk Phil. to you later. Thank you, Phil, for Talk taking the time. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.